Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. This week, D, we are going to continue our study with Metallica, and we are going to go track by track through the Black Album. Yeah, this album was the album that changed the direction of the band. It offended a lot of their hardcore fans, but it also introduced them to a whole spectrum of new fans, including yours truly. And me. I can probably play more songs off of this album than any other album on the guitar. I learned just about every song that I could on this album. But the other reason for that is these songs were easier to play than what they had been playing before. These were some simple, straightforward, good melody songs. I'm not a guitar player, but I can tell that they're simpler. Yeah. But they are awesome. Yes. The I sound, mean, there are some grand slams on this album. Absolutely. Five of them, at least. At least five. <laughs> so let's let's dive into it, man. This album, as you said last time, it was remixed three times. It cost $1 million to make and mix, and it ended three marriages. Yeah. It literally, like, Lars, Kirk, and Jason all got divorced while this album was going on, which is tragic. And they ended up putting a lot of those guilt and emotions into the songs, which may be part of why it's so good. But as we talked about last time, Lars said, I wanted to do something that was less technically difficult, but more soulful and something that I could feel more than think about. And boy, they hit it on the head. Before we get going, I just want to point something out. We have been talking to each other now for a couple of years face to face and one of the reasons that I can do that is because you don't have nose hair. <laughs> have you been talking to people and like you can't even concentrate on what they're saying because of their nose hair? Absolutely. They like talk to you. They like dangle. <laughs> it dangles. Yes, it wiggles. It's it's a total distraction. Absolutely. And so let me let me say, if you are one of those guys, we have a product that is supporting the podcast that you need to check out. It's called The Weed Whacker and it is from Manscaped. It is an amazing product. It trims your nose hair. It's not embarrassing. You just stick it up there. It takes care of it. You're not going to look at people and bother them. Right. And I'm one of those guys who's self-conscious about my nose hair. So somebody that you're going to see me and I'm going to be like yanking them out and wincing in pain. <laughs> Don't do that. There is a special thing that they make. And they've also just released, in addition to the Weed Whacker, they have just released something called the lawnmower. If you have other areas of your body that you're looking to trim up. And I'd like to point out that a giraffe is easier to see in the plane than it is in the forest. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yes, yes, it is. So, and it's very, it's very good around sensitive areas, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they have also an entire shave kit called the Ultra Smooth Package. Package. <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. So, who it, doesn't want their package ultra smooth? Right, right. So, don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Whack it. <laughs> Perfect. They sure did. But as simple as it was and as soulful as it was, it was really difficult to make. I mean, we talked about it took eight months of recording and they're working with Bob Rock, who was a guy that they had hesitation about. And he was a guy that put the thumbs to him, man. I mean, he pushed hard against what they had gotten used to in their previous recordings. And he's 
he's very much in that school of Mutt Lang of you don't have it right yet. You don't have it right yet. We're going to keep recording it until you get it right. So they did take after take after take. And sometimes almost on all of these songs, actually, it was the other Mutt Lang approach of, all right, well, we had a good, you know, first four measures in this recording. We have a better sounding second four measures in this recording. And so it was a mix and match. And there's a movie that came out that was a documentary called A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, where you watch them go through this very difficult process with Bob <laughs> Rock. They did not like each other at the end of all of this, right? Yeah. There's a point where Kirk has recorded something over and over and Lars is listening to it. And they're like, well, we want to use this here and then plug this little bit right in here here and we'll grab this other piece and plug it right in here. And he's like, you know, Hey guys, that's great. Uh, you know, I can't wait until you're able to do that with the drums and I don't even have to show up. <laughs> he's like, pretty soon we're going to be like giving you guys the music and we'll be able to come back and get the money whenever, you know, you've recorded it all. It's kind of scary how prophetic that was because that's the way it is now. Yeah. I saw the meme today where it was like rock band in the 1980s and it was this band inside of a garage and then rock band in the 2010s and it's this guy with a guitar in front of his computer. Yeah. We're ready for another revolution, folks. So one of the things you talked about was who knows when in the timeline this was, but it was late in the game. Yeah. And Lars is like, you know, I, and Bob Rock's like, what, Lars, what, <laughs> what, just spit it out. I mean, he wasn't even saying anything bad. He's just kind of like, I think maybe, you know, <laughs> he had had it, but it was, it was really funny. So this is their fifth album. Yeah. As we said, it was released August 12th of 1991. We just hit the 30th anniversary of this album. This album's 30 years old. Crazy. Can't Crazy. believe it. And they played Inner Sam at it every single football game ever since. If you have one song to pick that is the hey flagpole song for every you know take a take a survey <laughs> of all human beings who have heard of metallica and say what's the one song that you think of it's going to be interesting it's salmon without a doubt so this was released august 12th 1991 on august 2nd of 1991 they had the listening party i thought this was super cool uh -huh. if you're in and around new york city in 1991 yep. they gave out 19,000 free tickets to go to Madison Square Garden. The band was not going to play live. They were just going to play the album and let fans hear it. And there's sort of judge feedback wise what they thought, which I thought that was super cool. And I would love to have been there during that time. When this album was released, debuted at number one in 10 different countries, <laughs> it sold 650,000 copies in the first week. That's like it was, and it started just going a million a week. A million a week. A million a week. You know what it knocked out of the number one spot? Tell me. Okay, this is going to blow you away. Yeah. This is the music scene in 1991, which we've already said was not good until fall. Right. Unforgettable. That's what you are. Unforgettable. Natalie Cole's Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Oh, the copy that yep. she did with her dad yep. from like 100 years ago. Yeah. Wow. There's a duet with her father, her dead father. Kind of forgettable. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Not my favorite. No. It's not Certainly not when I was 18. I liked it when he sang it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
Back to Metallica. Okay. Okay. Just a couple more things before we dive in track by track. Okay. Bob Rock thought this was going to be easy until he met the guys uh-huh. and realized they're all perfectionists. Yes. And of course, he's a perfectionist. Yes. And so it was a lot harder than he thought. For example, Kirk Hammett is a very spiritual guy, right? And so he's very touchy-feely, does it feel right in the moment kind of deal. And Bob Rock is right, is like, this isn't good enough. You have to do more, do it more, do it more. Do it. And Lars starts to stand up and he's like, well, you know, this just isn't the way that he is. You know, this isn't the type of guy that he is. And he's like, but it's not to the quality that we it needs to be. And he goes, yeah, but you just can't, you can't push him. to. He goes, I can't push him to be good. You want me to have him not be good? Is that what you're suggesting? He's like, no, I'm not suggesting. He's like, well, what are you suggesting? He goes, I'm not suggesting anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And I want to talk about that in more in depth when we get to Unforgiven. Yeah. So the tempos were slowed down, as you said. Mm-hmm. They turned the bass up because, yep. and justice Bob for all. Rock said, hey, you guys know this thing called bass? It exists. <laughs> There was almost no base on Injustice for All. It's kind of a way of punishing Jason for being guess, the, new yeah, guy. the new guy. James Hetfield was inspired by Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, and John Lennon when he wrote this album. Okay. The more more Beatlesque? Yeah, for sure. And more melodies. You have James Hetfield singing instead of screaming on this album. Yeah. This is the untitled Metallica album. People refer to it as the Black Album. It was almost called Five because it was the fifth album. Ah, okay. So, you know the bit about Spinal Tap thing, right? Yeah. So, Spinal Tap came out in 84, but in Spinal Tap, they were like, I think we just do an album that's just all black. Just the whole album is black. (laughs) It's like the white album, except it's black. It was the guy on Laverne and Shirley who starred in Spinal Tap, and he's talking to Lars and James, and he's like... We've got a bone to pick with these two. You know, it's called Black Album. It's called Black Album. Now, where did the idea come from to do an all-black album, Metallica representatives? Well, I'll tell you something. If it had been a really piss-poor album, then we would have gotten right ticked off. Because they would have thought it was us. It was a decent album. didn't sell badly. So we figured, yeah, yeah, we we took it as a tribute. But when you said that this album hit number one, this I thought this quote was gold from Lars. He's like, you know, you think one day somebody's going to tell you, you have the number one record in America and the whole world will. And I just stood there in my hotel room and there was this fax that says you're number one. And I was like, well, okay. It was just another fax from the office. I'm standing there in his underwear like, hey, I'm number one. Awesome. Okay. So we're about to have the slower, heavier, more refined and not nearly as thrash Metallica but man, we still start kicking butt. Let's go track by track, starting with one of the most well-known rock songs of the 90s. Of ever. Of ever? Of ever. The defining Metallica song. Inner Sandman. It's amazing. I saw Dee Snyder talk about this song one yeah, time. Yeah. He said that the intro to the song is so good, you don't want to get to the chorus. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So, yes, this is more melodic. Yes, it's more basic, but man, it still kicks some butt. Are you kidding me? This is maybe the greatest rock song since Welcome to the Jungle. Oof. Okay. Interesting. All right. And commence to head banging. <laughs> Uh-uh. 
Yeah, so this song is about nightmares. This song, they had started with it very early. It started with it back in 1990, but it was just the music. They knew that it was good. It had come from a riff that Kirk Hammett had done. And he talked about how he, you know, he just records. You, you've got the recorder next to your bed and you just play and then you listen to it. And sometimes you go, hey, that sounded good. I'm going to go back and figure out what I did right there. Play the original way it was. Except with this one, he did that, and Lars was the one that was listening to it. And he's like, hey, you had this one part that was da-na-na-na-na. I think you should play it three times and then do that little break that that da 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 after that. And that's how the song went for. So I repeated the front part. <laughs> You can actually see that happen when you watch that documentary. Yeah. And you have the birth of the greatest rock anthem of all time. It is a one riff song. <laughs> it's a one riff song. Like that's it, but it is amazing. So they started off with the music in 90, but the, this was one of the very last songs to have the lyrics. Really? Yeah. So James Hetfield had written some lyrics that was talking about basically the destruction of the perfect family. Like there was a crib death involved. And all yeah, this. Like SIDS. Yeah. And it's Bob Rock and Lars Ulrich said, that's not good. <laughs> you can do better than that. And so that's how he came up with the nightmares themed song that we have before us. Yeah. I heard somebody describe it as the world's first metal lullaby. Here's something interesting. The music part of it, Kirk Hammond said, was inspired by Soundgarden's Louder Than Love album. Soundgarden, another album that came out uh, fall of 91. Yeah. Bad Moon Feeder. Yep. Incredible. So they use that poem, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and it's like a father teaching a child what to say as you're going to sleep because the Sandman, he's coming. They did say that they wanted to incorporate some more adult nightmare images into it, uh, but they didn't want anything stupid like Frankenstein, you know, jumping around the corner and scaring you. <laughs> this song reached number 16 on the Hot 100. Okay, so in watching A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, uh -huh. it shows the part where they're recording the little kid. And this just is another example of Bob Rockness. He's like, now I lay me down to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I pray the Lord must. And he goes through the whole thing and, he, and Bob Rock's like, all right, let's do it again. And the kid's like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that kid's now approaching 40. Whoosh. <laughs> Have you ever heard the song Tapping Into the Emotional Void? Only because you played it for me about 20 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, this is somebody covering Inner Sandman acoustically. And you said, no, no, this was before. Let's hear it. Really 
pretty on the nose. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. So that's a group named Excel, not Microsoft Excel, just regular Excel. <laughs> and the members were considering legal action. Don't know whatever happened to that. Let's talk about the video for a second. Okay. So the video was directed by our guy named Wayne Isham. Yes, we've talked about him. We've before. talked about him a bunch. He directed all the Bon Jovi videos. Uh, he's directed a billion videos. Right. But it was recorded in Los Angeles and it premiered July 3rd, 1991, two weeks before the release of the album. And you have this kind of nightmare scenario, but you have this really cool scene where there's a semi bearing down on a bed in the middle of the highway. And when James Hetfield goes at that part in the song where he goes, boom, the, the semi truck hits the bed. Oh, all right. So there's an old man. There's a little kid who's praying, and then there's an old man. Do you know who the old man is? Old crinkly face dude. Do you know who it is? Tell me who it is. I don't. Who is it? Okay. So the guy's name is R.G. Armstrong. Okay. You'd know him if you saw him, but I'm going to give you some clues. He was in Dick Tracy. He played Prune Face, <laughs> but you probably know him as General Phillips from Predator. Get to the chopper. <laughs> This won Best Hard Rock Video at the 1992 MTV Music Awards. Besides being played at every single football game ever known to man since 1991. All their live shows, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they have to. This is one of those must plays. All right. The Yankees, the New York Yankees would play this song whenever their all-time great closer, Mariano Rivera, took the mound. Uh-huh. And they did it so like he's recognized as being the greatest relief pitcher of all time. Right. It coincided so much with him, he became known as the Sandman. Oh, nice. Kind of like Wild Thing. Yeah. Nice. When Mariano Rivera retired, Metallica came and played live inside Yankee Stadium when he took the mound for the last time. That's the best thing of the show. How about that? We can stop now because that's the <laughs> coolest thing of the show. How about that? This has been covered a million times. Uh, I listened to one today by Weezer. Uh-huh. And of course, uh, Pat Boone has covered this song. <laughs> and then he comes, sleep with one eye open, gripping your pillow tight, exit light. Uh, Pat Boone, never afraid to steal something and make it terrible. So you sent me this thing that was, there's this huge like tribute album that's coming out, like 53 different artists playing their favorite songs off the Black album. Yes, it's called Blacklisted. That's the, it. Yeah. Blacklisted. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear it. I haven't heard it yet. I've just, I just saw the preview and it looks exciting. There are a couple of bands. There's some of it is available on Spotify if you want to listen to it. The Who, H U, not right. W H O, which is a band I saw with my dad that I've mentioned in a podcast in the past. The ones that do the, the double vocaling like Bill and Ted do at the beginning of Face the Music. <laughs> they do, I'm really excited to hear whatever version they have. And then I've also seen Cage the Elephant, who's done one of the best live shows I've ever seen. I can't wait to really? see it covering too yeah well and i think like darius rucker does a cover of nothing else matters that i can't wait to hear oh yeah we done with sandman it's unfortunate because it is a tentpole song but guys so good we're moving into something that's still pretty friggin' awesome here it comes track number two sad but true
Dude, you got the incredible use of the silent break right before. I love, love, love the way that it stops and the drums. Da, 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 da. Man, too good. You have that crunchy guitar at the beginning. Just, oh, so good. Sad But True was the fifth single released February 8th, 1993. This is one of those five singles that was an absolute home run. Okay, so what do you think this song's about? Okay, so this is the interesting thing about their their music. Now, they do have more serious tone stuff. It's not girls and booze and (laughs) the typical party rock that you and I like. Right, it's not the it's not the Motley Crue sex stuff all of the time. Sex, drugs, and sex. Yes, right. And how about some more sex? <laughs> Stripper music. So I thought it was interesting the way they write their music is they come up with a riff, a riff that they can build a song on, and then they sort of grow it from there. But they have a running title list, so they just have words that they think sounds cool. So they had a list that had "Sad but True," "Enter Sandman," "Nothing Else Matters," uh huh, and they're like, hmm, this sounds like "Sad but True." And then they take that title, they take the riff, they mash those together, and they build a song. Okay, so we really don't know what it means. I don't, I mean, I, I'm looking at these lyrics and I can understand that it's like, I'm the evil side of you. That's kind of the impression that I get. And that's the idea is that sad, but true, but I'm you. Well, Hatfield had talked about how in this song, it's about his duality, right? Like right. inside of me, there's the public me uh-huh. and there's the the me, me, you yeah. know, yeah. and how there's one good and one evil and they kind of wrestle with each other. I'm the hate when you want love. So musically, there's an interesting thing that happened on this one. So Bob Rock is looking at their songs and looking at all of the chord progressions. And he's like, these songs are all an E. What's up, guys? You know, and they're like, well, we're a heavy metal band. Turns out we like E. Shocker. Right. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but, you know, you, the bass. Remember, he said he introduced the bass. And I'm like, Bob, the E's lowest note. He's like, you can tune it down. People do it all the time. You know that album that you called me because you liked the Dr. Feelgood album? Wow. Drop D, you know, take that E note and tune it down a full step. And that's where we get the music for Sad But True. That's where, that's why it sounds so heavy and full on that bass side of things is because they're doing a a drop D tuning. Thank you, Motley Crue, for giving us Sad But True. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're going to get a fireball. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the solo that happens in this one is pretty freaking awesome. All right. So just before you can hear this double track guitar and then they do that stop that I was talking about. Stop. Drums come in. This is 
a great solo because instead of doing the metal style leads that he's done in the past, Kirk is doing something far more blues based like this. It sounds like he's almost playing with a slide. I'm not sure if he is or not, but it sounds so more blues scale, blues riff than any of the stuff they've done before. And it's one of those solos that you're going to play along the air guitar with because it's memorable. It sticks in your head and it kills it kills it. we were talking about that documentary earlier bob rock said kirk is one of those guys you have to push right mm. and so he'll just throw out some crap and like what do you think and he's like no not good enough keep going yeah so it, clearly he was being pushed on this song for sure all right we're done with sad but true it's sad but true <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. right song number three this song's called holier than thou So just when you thought we had moved into the blues, let me bring back the thrash metal right now. Yeah, this one's really heavy. It starts off super heavy. Yeah, and repetitive. I mean, that little loop, I counted it as 24 times. Oosh, this is a really long over and over and over again, which I understand the build. You know what? Bob Rock wanted this to be their first single release. This is a great story. Yeah. So they're sitting in a restaurant and he's like, you know, guys, obviously the first song, first single that needs to be released is holier than now. And they're like, really, Bob, tell us why. Just the way that it builds and you start, you've got the drums, then the guitars build on top of it and you've got the dynamics in the song. And he's yeah he was he was selling it hard Boy. you can see it in the in the documentary him actually say these words with songs like unforgiven and inner sandman and wherever i may room which is nuts because he's the guy that like like led them away from the thrash metal sound but he's suggesting that the thrash metal be the first song that comes off the album it's in, it's just interesting i don't know if they turned him or if he just thought you need to have this as the first single because your fans will buy in that way i don't i don't know i don't know so here's the thing okay i, I thought this was great and he he's probably protecting himself a little bit because he does seem a little silly when he when he said those words but he said this was before there were words laid down for any track, uh-huh. including Sandman, right? Oh, okay, yeah. And so he just thought he liked the crunch and he said it was early on and the songs later sort of blossomed into these mega songs. Uh-huh. And so it was a little early in the game and he's like, but yeah, so the band, whenever they see him, like, they'll be like, hey, Bob, how's it going? He's like, fine, guys, how's it going? They're like, holier than now, huh? <laughs> it's like, I, that was early in the game. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. The lyrics, Bob initially thought it might even be about him being holier than thou. Oh, interesting. Okay. What do you think? You like this one? Well, I hate to judge it, lest I be judged myself. <laughs> that's good uh yeah I, I mean i could see it being about bob or anybody else who's probably given them trouble along along the way this is a i don't need your attitude and your opinions right you thinking you're better than me good song there's better songs than i'm ready to jump to track number four for sure oh if i'm listening gosh. to the album i'm like I'm, I'm hearing the same thing i'm like okay you played it too long i don't care what the words are moving on the next song on the album uh-huh. track number four the unforgiven okay 
throwback to Van Halen sound effect at the beginning of the song. What Doppler effect of the thing going by, the car going by. Yeah. But then we come in, after we've had this thrash metal song, we come in with a classical guitar playing a almost Spanish-style ballad. Yeah, yeah it's, it's sweet and sad. It is sweet and sad. And then you get a little lead over the top, and it's beautiful. It's hooky. Oh, this song is gold. And they've totally stolen it from themselves. <laughs> I brought you this today because, I and I wish I could say, you know, I wish I could say, well, I recognized this song when I heard the Black Album for the first time, because, but I didn't, because I've already said, I came through the Black Album and then went back to the other albums. And this morning, as I was working out, listening to Fade to Black, I was like, this is the same chord progression as Unforgiven. And I sent it to you and you're like, I'm too familiar with Fade to Black to right. hear it. But I looked it up, literally exactly the same chords. There's a bit of a twinge difference at the end of, of a line or two, but it is the exact same chords from beginning to end. It's not where Fade to Black first starts, but once you get down with the intro, guitar intro on Fade to Black, and then go into the the more acoustic sound, yeah, it's the same. Interesting. Well, they're both wonderful songs. Yeah. And, you know, if it works, keep going to it. You know? Sure, they reused it again. <laughs> Unforgiven Part 2. I don't, this song has sequels. Yeah. It has a Unforgiven Part 2 and an Unforgiven Part 3. Oh, my gosh. This was released October 23rd of 91. This is the second single. I thought it was interesting that they wanted to do something with a heavy verse and a soft chorus. That was the goal when they made this song. Yeah, and it's uh, such heartbreaking lyrics. I mean, it's the the new blood joining the earth, and immediately he's subdued, and he has pain and disgrace, and he has to learn the rules. And it's just, you know, the whipping boy done wrong. It is tragedy of a beaten down life. Okay, D, I want to talk about the guitar solo on this song, Unforgiven. This is the song where Bob Rock was like, Kirk, that, that solo is not good enough. Go back and try again. And he kept trying and, and he kept sort of browbeating him to come up with something better. He's like, you have to respect the song. The song is too good for you just to throw out a crappy solo. And Kirk had said, I just don't really have the feel. He's like, that's what all lazy players say. I don't have the feel. Go back and come up with something better.
that's why we have this screaming awesome guitar solo is because Kirk was pushed to the edge and he was breaking emotionally. You know, you mentioned that horn at the very beginning. Yeah. That horn, they actually reverse it so that people can't recognize it. It was stolen from a Western movie, although they haven't really named it because for, you know, legal reasons, they don't want to get sued. Right. But most people think it's from the Clint Eastwood movie for a few dollars more. Which is interesting that Clint Eastwood then came out with a movie called The Unforgettable. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. There you go. Good job. Yeah. All right. I told you I had a I had a cool story about this, right? So listen to this. When Dave Mustaine was fired from Metallica, yep. he could not bring himself to listen to them, look yeah. at them, think about them, mention their name. He was very bitter, right? Yes. And we talked about how he felt like Kirk took his job. And stole his riffs. Right. And stole his riffs, right? Yeah. But when he finally got around to listening to Metallica again, he listened to this album. And this was the song that he gravitated towards. This is the lead singer of Megadeth. Uh -huh. When he was talking to Revolver Magazine, he said, I remember hearing this song when I was talking to Lars once and telling him this was my favorite song off the blackout. And he's like, wow, really? That, that's surprising. Yeah. And he said, I liked it because this is the first time I'd ever really heard him sing. It's awesome. Yeah. he's He definitely brought vocals in this one. Okay. I got something for you on the music video. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This video was directed by a guy named Matt Maharan. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> it's easy for you to say. Matt Maharan. Okay. Okay. Now he's a video director. He's a photographer. He has done a number of things, but you will know him. He is the guy who took the picture of OJ Simpson's mugshot that Time Magazine then sort of filtered to make him look darker yeah and it was a very controversial picture oh yeah this is the guy who took that picture oh wow so that picture that he took ended up on the cover of time magazine we don't get into politics on here nope we sure don't <laughs> moving on this is song number five this is wherever i may roam Okay, this is a different sound. Yeah, that sitar at the beginning. Yeah, it's got a very Middle East kind of sound to it. And while they were recording this album, Lars came in one day and they had an entire table full of different percussive instruments. And so the little zing. But yeah. you hear, he, I'm sure, pulled off of that, and you get some knocking here and there. At one point, it showed James Hetfield cocking a gun as one of the Right. Songs. They added a lot of sound samples in this one, but it's weird to hear Metallica coming in with the sitar. Now, the Beatles, way back in the 60s, had done sitar music. It pops up with Led Zeppelin from time to time, something like that, but not something I was expecting from Metallica. But then they take that very... Middle East sound, and then they drill the drums and they make it a booming guitar lead, a booming guitar riff. And I love it. This is my favorite song in the album. It's 
favorite song Fantastic. on this album. I'll listen to the beginning over and over again. I don't even need to listen to the rest. It's like, like you said, <laughs> I don't even want to get to the chorus. <laughs> I just want to listen to the intro to the song over and over again. The lyrics to this song are what really speak to me. This is like a road dog song, right? Yeah. There's this line in there where he's like, roamer, wanderer, nomad, vagabond, call me what you will. But that's the idea of I get everything I need from the road. It's a love song. To the road. It is. The road becomes my bride. And the road becomes my bride. This was the fourth single released October 19th, 92. good song. <laughs> Kirk Hammett talks about when he talks about this song, he remembers at the time being on tour, he said, I bought a house last year that I haven't even seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, so the tour after this was called the Wherever I May Roam Tour. Yeah. A great name for a tour. Yeah. I mean, if the road is going to be your bride, it's going to be while you're on tour, right? Such a great song. And so the music video is... It's their road video, man. It's the one. It's got to have that road video. You yeah, got to have it. So the Wherever I May Roam tour is where they got the video for the Wherever I May Roam video. Yeah, you got to have it. Every band in the early 90s, late 80s had to have this, this video. So normally when they would play this song live, they would start it off with the recording of the sitar and they would let everybody walk out to this song because they didn't typically have a sitar right. playing. All right, we got to move on. Okay, moving on. The next song on the album is a song called Don't Tread On Me. Okay. This song starts off with a lot of butt kicking. It's a headbanger. It is. It's, we're back to our thrash metal. This is almost like a thrash metal anthem. It's like a patriotic metal anthem. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It is, I would say, of all of the songs that were not singles on this album, this one's the best. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think it's better than any of the other non-singles. This is, this is really good. Pump your fist, bang your head. It's not quite tapped your foot, but it's the, the lyrics are so on point that you're just, you're still singing along. Some people felt that this was a very pro-America song and Hatfield hasn't backed down from that. He's like, you know, I, I've been out touring. I've seen a lot of places. And let me just say, America is really a great place. That, you know, you come to appreciate America, even with its warts, you know, America is pretty awesome. Yeah. He's not saying Soviet, by the way. It's so be it. So be it. So be it. It's not so be it. Soviet. He's not saying so. Okay, it's not the USSR that's involved. Okay. It's not the USSR that he said threatened no more. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because ninety one, right? This that I mean that just not happened. happening could have been Soviet. Sure. Yeah, it's so be it. There were some people that were shocked. They thought they were a pro-war band after the song came out. After thinking they were an anti-war band. Uh huh. And I got to think that, you know, we talked about they were recording this during the, the Persian Gulf War. And people in America felt a lot of American pride at that moment in time. Well, I mean, so you say never surrender, showing the fangs of rage. And then you say to secure peace is to prepare for war. It's hard to say that they're wrong. Right. 
So don't tread on me is a very popular term from colonial America. have that famous flag the gadsden flag yeah the snake the snake that's on the front cover of the album if you can make it out it's barely on there oh yeah it is the same snake yep i like this one i got no problems with it it's a butt kicker all right so here's a great story for you about this song okay, okay. so there's this canadian woman named d gallant so she was walking she lives in british columbia she was walking on a hike and there was a cougar that was coming after her the she cat, not the car <laughs> A real life mountain lion, right? A cougar, right? And so she started yelling, making noises, trying to scare this cat away and it wouldn't go. And so she pulled out her phone. She said, I was just looking for the loudest thing I could possibly play. Don't tread on me by Metallica. (laughs) And the cat left. Oh my God. And so a week later, she gets a phone call from Mr. James Hatfield. Oh, wow. (laughs) How cool is that? That's freaking awesome. All right, we done with this one? I think so. And I think if this was a tape, this would be the end of side one, right? Yep. Push, stop in your tape player, kick it out, flip it over. Side two. We start off with Through the Never. I wonder if this song is where Third Rock from the Sun got their name. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about this one? Well, I think that they tent-pulled this album with their thrash metal songs, which thrash metal is not my thing. Right. I mean, understand, man, obviously you got to put that first. Right. It's going to appeal to everybody, even thrash metal, non-thrash metal, doesn't matter. It's a winner. Right. But they end side one, thrash metal. They begin side two, thrash metal. Not my thing, but it's not bad. Okay. Metallica named their 2013 IMAX concert film Through the Never. Did you watch that? No, I haven't I seen it. I figured you would watch that. No, I didn't. You watched the really bad I, movies. I try to. I try to watch as many bad movies on this stuff as I Have can. Have you seen anything about it at all? It's supposed to be like surrounding their concert, but there's like a thriller movie going on, like a storyline going on as well. I saw the trailer. Okay. I watched the trailer. Yeah, there's like some movie plot around their concert. All right, D, so you've watched this trailer. What do you think? I'm intrigued. <laughs> I legit, I thought, okay, a thriller surrounding a concert movie that can't really be. Pretty cool setting, pretty right? good. It looks like like a Mad Max style, like suddenly there's an attack and there's, you know, this apocalyptic event that's going on all during this concert. It's got the guy from The Amazing Spider-Man, the, the, like the second, not Tobey Maguire, but... Uh, what was Andrew it? Garfield? Yeah, he's the guy that was the bad guy in that one is kind of the main character. And he's doing something for the band when all of literally hell breaks loose, it looks like. And it looks interesting. And IMDb gives it a 7.2, which is not a bad rating. I'm going to go watch this. That's interesting. I will be back with my report later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, when they were talking to James Hetfield about the naming of this movie, right? Yeah. He said, well, I was looking at the movie and people were like, well, what is this? Is this a documentary? Is this a concert movie? Is it an action movie? Is it a thriller? He said, so we wanted to choose a title that was as vague as we could possibly be. <laughs> so we chose our own Through the Never. It's a good one. It's a headbanger. It's not a single, but it's it's good. Yeah. All right. Next, this song is called Nothing Else Matters.
so this was the first Metallica song that I learned how to play. Okay. I was like, this is awesome. I got to figure this out. This, this is, is a love song. This is I. This is the song that made me fall in love with them. I remember hearing this for the first time and just immediately falling in love with the song. It is, it's so good. It's sweet and it's mysterious and it's amazing and I'm gushing, but yeah, this is, this is the song that I fell in love with Metallica on. This is interesting. So James Hetfield wrote this. He thought for himself. He didn't anticipate it being on the album. He was kind of bummed out. He's missing his girlfriend. Wrote this for her and never really intended it to be on the album. And then Lars heard it and was like, no, that needs to go on the album. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics are this beautiful opening up. I mean, never, I've never opened up to somebody like I've opened up to you. And to have that kind of vulnerability in a heavy metal song is unexpected. Yeah. I think he was a little bit afraid the guys were going to laugh him out of the room when he presented this one. What? About a song about your girlfriend? <laughs> Come on, what are we here? This Molly was crew. <laughs> <laughs> This was the third single. Epically beautiful. Reached number 11 on the mainstream rock charts. Epically beautiful song. Love it. Okay, so the intro to the song, it's a very acoustic, beautiful lead. But then toward the end of the song, we get the guitar solo, which is this screaming, but still amazingly beautiful solo. Let's listen to it now. This again, he's gone back to this blues bass lead. We're not, we don't have the speed metal. We've got a song that you're going to air guitar with. You're going to thrash and you're going to know every note to. This is one of the, a couple of songs on here where you have the guitar solo that you could hum the whole thing without, you know, without it being there. And again, it kills it. I love, love, love it. I got something for you on that guitar solo. Okay, go. That's not Kirk Hammett playing that guitar solo. It's James Hetfield. Yeah. How about that? That's awesome. A couple of things on this song, besides it being amazing and beautiful and a definite change in tone for the band. Yeah. This song hit 1 billion views on YouTube, August 1st, 2021. Just a few weeks ago. A week ago, ago, yeah. Yeah. Making it Metallica's first music video to ever hit 1 billion views on YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. That is awesome. And this music video had a part in being very detrimental to another musician's career. Do you know this? No. There is a clip that they play in this music video from the documentary we talked about mm-hmm. where Lars is throwing darts at a poster 
of Kip Winger. Oh yeah, yeah. That's in the that's in the documentary as well. Yeah. yeah. That plus Beavis and Butthead <laughs> turned oh, against Winger, Winger and made them the uncool rock band. Oh my god. I like Winger. You can call me Stuart. I know. I know you like Winger. <laughs> so I play this the song on Guitar Hero. Yeah. It's easier to play it on the guitar. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. That guitar here is hard. It is hard. James Hetfield talks about how he went to a Hell's Angels get together in New York City. Okay. And they showed him a video that they had made of their fallen brothers set to this song. Oh, wow. And James said that uh, it was much more meaningful than just a lovesick boy talking about his girlfriend. Wow. So wow. he said anybody could use it. The army could use it. That's awesome. We done with this one? I hate to be, but yes, we got to move on. All right. The next song is called Of Wolf and Men. And men. What do you think? Eh. 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 Yeah, it's it's okay. I know James Heffield was kind of getting into the hunting thing yeah. during this time. Yeah. And so he talks about kind of living off the land a little bit. I know our buddy James Buckley loves this song. This is one of his favorites that is a non-single off this album. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just not my cup of tea. It's all right. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, if it was used in a werewolf movie, then maybe. <laughs> Right? Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Bob Rock even thought this song was silly. Like, he's like, uh, what, what are we doing here, guys? We're singing about a wolf. <laughs> okay. That's so, it. Yeah. So, that's all for that song. We're moving on. All right. The God That Failed. Okay. Have we had a song yet that just starts off with the drums and a bass line? All right, let's do this then. <laughs> let's go ahead and build it up with the guitar like every good rock sh- song should. I don't know. I think this one's like the best of the non-singles. Yeah? Yeah. James Hetfield wrote this about, you know, he grew up Christian scientist. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, his mom died of cancer, I believe. Right. And so that not taking medicine, not going to the hospital had to be a rough experience. She was through. a firm believer that you just prayed and that God would, would take care of your yeah. medical issues. And when that didn't happen, it left him bitter. Yeah. Then you end up with songs like this. Yep. But we don't talk religion either. Nope, we don't. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah. All right. So the next one is My Friend of Misery. By the way, we are almost to the end of this album, and we have not had yet an instrumental song, which I believe 
could be wrong, but I believe every single Metallica album before this album, you had at least one song that was instrumental. This song, My Friend of Misery, was supposed to be an instrumental song. It was one that came from a groove that Jason Newstead did. He's the only one that he gets some writing credit on on this whole album. But then ultimately, they put these words to it, and here we go. Awesome. Yeah. When Bob Rock talks about this song, he said, this song is all about mood which is very cinematic in feel. Metallica knows how to play to their strengths, dishing out raw power. But on this song, we went more for atmosphere. It's ominous and it works. Okay. One of the cool things about My Friend of Misery, Jason Newstead felt particularly proud about this song. He felt at the moment that this was finally him getting in with the band. They came to him and said, hey, Jason, what do you got for us, man? Let's let's throw your song in. And he really was proud that he was able to contribute one of his songs to Metallica. Oh. All right. The last song on the album is called The Struggle Within. Okay. Immediately starting out, I'm thinking about one and I'm thinking, okay, this is very one ish, (laughs) but it's just ish so far. And as we keep getting more and more into it, it's like, I think this was a swing and a miss. It was like, you're trying to get the, that vibe of one from and justice for all. And you missed it. Well, I'll tell you why you want to know why. Yeah, sure. Okay. This song was written and sung on Metallica's last day in the studio. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> they were done. They were done. So they needed one more song and they're like, uh, well, what's some, uh, let's like, uh, something like one, except I only have 30 minutes to do it. <laughs> so it was a song. He, James Hetfield couldn't come up with lyrics. Mm-hmm. So the song is about struggling within yourself to come up with lyrics. For Bruce Springsteen, it did not work for Metallica. Yeah. Last day in the studio, and it sounds like it, unfortunately. Yeah. I love this album. I love it, but there are certainly some filler and some skipper songs in here for me. It starts off so strong. Yeah. Maybe the best side to any album in the 90s. Yeah. The first five songs. Really, 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 really. If they had moved Nothing Else Matters and moved Holier Than Thou to the other side, we're a little tough on songs at the end. So I think it faded in its strength. Yeah. It faded to black. It faded to black. (laughs) One of the things I want to throw in real quick, Dee, we have this new thing we're doing called the Shirley Spotlight or Shirley Shoutout. I can't remember what we're calling it. This week, we've got Brandon Hosselton, who's been a fan of the show. He's a good friend of mine. And he wanted to weigh in on Highlander versus Flash Gordon. Here's what Brandon had to say. Hey, good evening, Shirley Podcast fans. Brandon Hosselton here to give you my personal final judgment between the movies Flash Gordon and Highlander. Before I do that, I want to thank Dee and Jason for allowing me this opportunity. Guys, you have a fantastic show. I look forward to it each week. Keep up the good work. Okay, so... My personal final judgment, and I'll just tell everybody right up front, Highlander is my personal favorite movie of all time. I've seen it many, many times. This movie allows the viewer to think and ponder what life 
for him was like in the periods of time that we don't see. You wonder, what's the backstory like? Who did he run across in all of his travels? And all while doing so, he had to keep a low profile. He had to learn to be a superior swordsman. He had to prepare himself to battle a fellow immortal in what will be the ultimate battle of good and evil. He has to do that in total secrecy. He has to do that knowing that anybody he cares for likely will die before he will. And and there's just a lot of open questions that this movie allows the viewer to answer in their own way and in their own mind. Flash Gordon, on the other hand, it's, it's basically Captain America, Tony Stark, all the Avengers characters rolled into one where they come and kick butt of Thanos, right? I mean, that's basically what you have here. You have planet Earth under attack by a mean, dark-hearted villain. You have Flash Gordon. He quickly determines, hey, there's a problem here. We've, you've got all these other groups of people that just simply can't figure out how to get along with one another. And so he bands them together as any good team captain, any quarterback would do, and basically says, hey, look across that field. We're going to go kick their butt. And then when we're done, we're all going to go have a beer. And by the way, the chick over there in the corner I'm going to take her home later tonight. That's basically what Flash Gordon is. So there you have it. Both movies I highly recommend. Flash Gordon is just pure entertainment. Okay. Sit back. Enjoy it. Highlander, on the other hand, it's a little slower paced. It's a little deeper thought. It's equally uh, fun in terms of the action uh, sequences. But the thing that sets it apart is it allows the viewer to think about and imagine what could be the additional storylines within the movie. All right, so that's it. That's my final judgment. I hope everybody enjoys it. D, Jason, thank you again for this opportunity. Okay. I I wish that he was my friend. I, <laughs> I need to meet this guy because obviously he knows what he's talking about. Brandon right loves Highlander. It's like his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Brandon, thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. If you want to be a part of the Shirley Spotlight, just email us an audio clip. Less than three minutes of what you thought on any of our previous episodes weigh in with your own final judgment tell us how great we are whatever <laughs> and uh send us candy <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll pitch on all right so this is one of the big albums for the fall of 91 oh yeah you were hearing all songs from this for the next two years at least yeah we talked about how they had nineteen thousand people at the listening party for this at album. the listening party it was hugely anticipated However, we're going to cover two more albums that were even more anticipated than this album. Yeah, we've spoken before about how Metallica made its name from being a rebellion against a certain style of music. And then a lot of people felt like this is where they transitioned and this is where they became mainstream. And we're going to have the same kind of situation in our next show when we see Guns N' Roses move from dirty Hollywood strip crime-ridden band to pianos and orchestras it'll be interesting still gonna be some good music oh there's some gems come back next week we're gonna dive into use your illusion one don't forget to hit that subscribe button before you go so that you're sure not to miss anything